thank you for coming out on this Thursday. It's so nice to see you here. I don't know how many of you know about my podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, but essentially it's turned into a pop-up podcast. I'm, I mean, it's, it's just popping up everywhere by accident because I didn't mean for this to turn into a thing, but here we are. Um, so normally I host um, book-related kind of podcast episodes in Waterstones. Um, I'm doing Wilderness Festival in August, if any of you want to come to that. Um, and then tonight, a very special, totally one-off episode that's going out tomorrow evening interviewing these amazing women who I'll in, intro in a minute but essentially um, I really love Jigsaw as a brand I've worked with them in the past they featured me in their magazine last year I am wearing Jigsaw boots well, well by total coincidence so a very natural lovely partnership so I thought we could host an intimate evening tonight when we're drinking Prosecco and talking about creativity, talking about fashion, talking about being creative. And also, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're all women and we're going to be talking about that as well. So just a little bit of an intro. So um, there are government stats that say that women are still underrepresented in the creative industries. And we know now that there's actually 52% versus... 48% of um, women working. So it doesn't quite add up. Why are women still underrepresented in the creative industries? It seems bizarre. And we were just uh, reminiscing just now. So the Kodak Girl campaign has been sort of resurrected, and Jigsaw has partnered with Kodak to sort of celebrate this with a capsule collection with um, a t shirt. Lucia's wearing one actually with a camera on. <laughs> And like Charlie is as well. And they look amazing. And so we were talking about how this campaign, Kodak Girl, which is now kind of changed to Kodak Woman, has been around for 125 years. That's such a long campaign, kind of championing women. But actually, how much has changed in 125 years? We were kind of joking that this uh, camera was first directed at women because it was easy to use back in like the 1850s. They were like, you can't vote, but you can take some pictures. Obviously, we've moved on, thank God, um, and we want to talk about it. We've got three amazing women here from three different generations. We've got a Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, widely spread here. Um, so do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Because I feel like you will sum up what you're doing better than I will, and you, are, uh, you have many talents. So, Charlie, do you want to start? I was going to just sort of look over at Serena and be like, do you want to start in the end? Uh, hello, my name is Charlie Cox, and I am a poet and producer. And the book? And Oh, yeah, and that important thing. Um, and, yes, I've just finished my first collection of poetry, which will be published in the summer with HarperCollins. There are lots of leaflets at the back by all the drinks, because I thought that's where you might get your attention. So if you want to, like, nab one, pre-order... It's amazing. It's called She Must Be Mad. Thank you. Yes. Um, no, you're, you're going to have to do a lot of this coming up when you're promoting the books. I'm being nice. I'm like, practice tonight. Um, Lucia, what about you? You, you work at Jigsaw. Yes, Tell us about it. Um, I'm Lucia. I work at Jigsaw um, as head of design. I've been here for a long time. It's a great company to work for. Um, never a dull moment. Always changes every year, but always remains... Um, with great integrity to design. Um, so it's, it's been a great time at Jigsaw. Hi everyone, my name is Serena and I'm the founder of Suitcase Group, which is, consists of a travel magazine for the modern traveler. 
which I was going to say millennials, but <laughs> you guys will read it and enjoy it. Uh, and then I also run a creative agency for brands in the travel industry and lifestyle brands as well. So the Jigsaw campaign, the tagline is creativity doesn't discriminate. So it's about how an idea is genderless and has no, it shouldn't have an attachment to it. And yet, obviously, you, we are still discriminated against um, because of race, gender, um, age, everything is still up in the air at the moment in all industries. But when did you guys first realise you wanted to be in a creative career? And did you ever get pushback from anyone in your lives who kind of said, like, oh, that's quite a risky decision? Did, anyth did anyone have anything like that happen? I know, Serena, with you, you kind of... You, you did want to launch a magazine straight out of uni or during uni. during uni. What was that like when you sort of said you wanted to do that? Well, I, I didn't consciously decide when I was younger, oh, I want to be in a creative career... I always knew I wanted to do something and it just happened to be creative. I think all kinds of entrepreneurship is creative, basically. I think it's about coming up with an idea and solving a problem that no one's really solved before. And um, when I started Suitcase, luckily my family were really supportive. I've got two members of my family here today, my mum and my aunt. <laughs> Still my number one fans. And I, I'm just, I was really lucky with that because um, I know not that not everyone has that same experience. But I definitely didn't have that with all of my friends. And I think when you're starting something, uh, especially when it seems risky to, to certain people, um, they might not understand you uh, and they might push back and they might be very negative and you just don't need those people around you. And surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, they've all popped up again now that Suitcase is doing well and they want to be my friend again. Um, <laughs> But I don't really have that much time for them. Yeah. So I think Facebook requests left, right, and centre. Yeah, I think when you're starting something, you want to surround yourself with people that understand what you're doing and support you. What about you? Has your career evolved, or have you always known you wanted to be um, in the creative I industry? I always knew I wanted to do something with clothes. Um, my my mum um, came from a family with a long line of tailors. Um, she was always immaculately dressed still is always immaculately dressed. Um, so right from the beginning, I was always looking at clothes all the time. Um, my father was really into painting. Um, so there'd be oil paints and paintbrushes around the house. So when I took that path, there was never really any question about it. It wasn't ever, you need to earn a certain amount of money. It was, it was always, do what you really love doing um, so I was really quite lucky in that yeah I do I do find that a lot of people who sometimes um, feel like they're having trouble with breaking into an industry they do feel like they're from a family where that's a bit alien but actually to be surrounded by creativity from an early age must have been really nice yeah it definitely I didn't even question it really nobody questioned me um, and I will say it it does take a lot of hard work because I really loved it. I just was happy to do the hard work. I think if you if you don't do the hard work, you won't get anywhere. Um, whether people are against you or not, it's you know even if I, I had a great start, people were supporting me and my my family and my my boyfriend now my husband. But I still continue to work hard all the time because it fulfills me. So, and I think you can feel really fulfilled in a creative role. Mm -hmm, for sure. 
What about you, the youngest yeah. person on the panel here? <laughs> the small baby child on the corner. <laughs> um, no, that actually leads on really well from, I was very academic at school. I was expected to go and do Oxbridge. I was supposed to be the wonder kid that went and was super smart. And then I dropped out of college after two months and went, I'm going to go and be a stylist. Uh, which I thought was the worst facial expression I could ever gauge from my parents, but actually it's when you say, I'm going to quit my full-time job and become a poet. Uh, that, if, if you want to ruin Christmas, 10 out of 10 recommend. Like, it's not good. Um, but I've been really lucky. They were very supportive in the end, and it's always been such an innate thing for me where I don't think that academia and creativity is, is that far different you know about no, the hard work no. aspect I don't think that just because you're a creative you're not working tirelessly if anything I feel as though since I've been a bit more hands-on or thought about things visually or tried to make things you know you're up until three o'clock in the morning um, and you're starting at seven o'clock in the morning and to get in like the entry level is you know mm -hmm. is is just as difficult I don't think it's the easy way out for sure do you have any of that still there in your current lives so people sort of, without meaning to, think, oh, what are you doing with your time? Is it a proper thing? Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever get that? Yeah, I mean, nobody ever says, oh, she's a creative and it's a good thing. It's never said with a good intonation, is mm. it? It's like, oh, there's always, like, the one creative in the family. You're yeah. like, ah. I know what you mean. I think it's looked upon as being easy, being creative. Um, because lots of parts of it are fun, where you're creating things. Um, but I think the difference between a creative role and a non-creative role is that when you're creative, you never stop, you never switch off, you're never satisfied, so you keep doing things over and over again until they're perfect. Whereas maybe in another job, you would finish your task, and you finished it, and you can feel, OK, I've done it, it's complete. But when you're creative... You never feel satisfied, so you keep going and going, and it's, it's a bit all-consuming, really. Yeah, really all-consuming. Um, we'll get on to some of the kind of, you know, how you have time off and, and that stuff later, but I wanted to throw a question out there that might... S well, let's just see. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I did prep for you. I sent you the questions in advance, but um, obviously this is about being a woman in the creative industry, and I find that I do want to talk about that, and obviously this is a room full of women and two men, hey. Um, <laughs> um, three, four, sorry, I didn't see you guys there. Sorry, sorry, yay. <laughs> um, but I sometimes have a hard time kind of feeling good about being included in like all female lists, for example. So like this podcast has been in like best podcast for women and well, women in tech. But I'm like, why can't it just be a good podcast and why can't I just be like a person in tech why do I always have to be under this umbrella of being a woman and I wondered is that am I alone in that is that just me kind of um shying away from actually them trying to give me a platform do you think it's positive or do you think it's negative or do you not care I think it's kind of it, I, I don't like it either but I think it is necessary at the moment to lift up women and support them and showcase what they're doing and okay, it's not always ideal that's separate to men. It's kind of seen as maybe a, like not taken as seriously sometimes, I feel like, when it's separated. But I do think it is it's important to shine more of a light on what women are doing now, and maybe it makes more sense to do it separately. 
um, just to make a point of hey, there are these women out there who do, are doing incredible things. I mean, I was on a similar list to you of 29 coolest female founders in the UK. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but that's kind of great. But <laughs> uh, it would be nice if it was coolest founders in the UK. That would be great. But I don't think we're there yet in terms of culture in the UK or anywhere in the world, really. And, and aside from that, there's even more niche prizes where it's the same thing. It's like, let's create a category to then lift up people to have more awareness of their work. Well, in, in fashion, there's loads of women um, outnumbering men. Um, and I think whilst there's loads of, like in our company, we've got really great, powerful women directors um, really leading, leading things, there's always... There is always a man above that, you know, um, maybe the CEO or... So there's still a little bit to go, I think, um, from my personal experience. Why do you think that is? I think it's just because that's the norm, but I do think it's changing. And I think that the more powerful women there are... Um, it won't be noticed as much, you know, it won't be noticed that they're women and they'll just be appreciated for what they do regardless. Yeah. And it's, it's really getting there, but it's not quite there yet. Charlie, I have a question for you. So, um, talking about... I'll sink into my seat one second. <laughs> no. Thinking about um, the Kodak campaign, just the fact that, that, that it's been around for 125 years, do you use... Do you think there's anything that brands can do to stay relevant for that long? Because actually that is quite abnormal, isn't it, to, be, to have a campaign for over 100 years. We were talking about how it's kind of a shame it's still relevant in a way, something yeah. that has to lift up women. But then is there anything from your point of view that you think um, is a sign of something that can last? Yeah, I think that what is great or what was great about Kodak Girl and what is still great about Kodak Woman is that the, the foundations were really earnest and solid about what the campaign was about. It wasn't, oh, let's talk about women. Like, let's talk about, like, let's give a platform for girls. It was, here are the solid foundations of why we're doing that and also why they're powerful or why they can be creative or why they can be included. Um, and that's why it, you know, it's almost sad that it stood the test of time that we're still having this conversation. But also really exciting that people are still willing to participate in that and are still fighting that cause. I think what brands maybe uh, it's very similar to the all-female lineup thing it's a quick fix it's a novelty it's exciting it's oh we've got like 10 women doing this it's like mm, that that should be the norm like how about instead of saying publicly we're going to do this and show off but instead internally make decisions and changes within our structures whether that's within business or within campaigns that means that's happening all year round and not just Yes. As a, like a wider campaign. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, talking of um, your poetry, and I know we were talking before about you are, you have been called an Insta poet as well, even though I know you have like a ups and downs with that phrase. I love it personally. Uh, Rupi Kaur, who's obviously like twice best-selling poet at the moment. I mean, Charlie is like, you love are, you. yeah, <laughs> on the same level. Um, but, you know, she's been called an Insta poet and, and it's, it's, it's a great thing. But obviously social media has, mean, has meant that we can kind of foster these communities. I personally feel like so surrounded by incredible women at the moment that I just feel very 
genuinely empowered, not just like the buzzword empowered, um, by all the women around me. Do you have that? Do you find that that's a positive? Massively. I mean, I absolutely would not have a book deal. I would not be confident with my poetry if it wasn't for strong, solid women around me that have lifted me, whether that's on social media or within my friend groups or... Love you on me. Yeah, you know, it's... I would never have been able to do this or like on a really basic level of having the confidence to do it without social media. So, you know, a lot of the time I read the term Instapoet and I'm like, oh, why can't I just be a poet? Like in the same way, it's like, why do I have to be a female founder or why do I have to be, you know, why, where's that prefix coming from? Is it derogatory? But actually it is really exciting and knowing as well that as a woman, you're not answering to anyone else. You're not trying to appease anyone else, but I've suddenly got this really wonderful female community that are excited and write their own poetry now and share their own stuff and like that's such a wonderful feeling to know that it's come from a, a really base level foundation yeah it's nice to know that you can just start really small and see what happens because i feel the same with this podcast because actually i think the pool did a really interesting piece on like women in podcasting and i didn't mind that it was about women in podcasting it was the point was that you can carve out your own space on the internet in a way that is so um, kind of suited to you, but you you find your audience very, very naturally, and like here we are in a room together, this is what I love, is um, being in real life as well. Um, but Lucia, you're not on social media. I was like trying to tag you on Instagram for the event, and you're just, you're, no, you're nowhere to be found. Um, but no, I think it's really cool that you're not on social media. I've now gone the other way where if someone's not on Facebook, I like respect them more. Um, but ha do you have an opinion really on how crazy the world is right now on social media? Do you, um, do you ever feel like you want to be on it? No, I don't. Um, I, I look at things. Um, I'm looking at things all the time um, when I'm researching. I'm looking at things my husband's looking at, I'm looking at things my kids are looking at, looking at things people in the office are looking at. So... I'm seeing things all the time, um, but I, I don't sort of, I don't want to commit that amount of brain space to really getting into it because I want to be able to see other things as well. Do you find that you want to be more creative and that you, you think that would take away a little bit more of your creative mind as well? Um, I feel like I'm, because you know, you hear about People say, have you seen this, have you seen this, have you seen this? So then everybody's seeing the same thing. Um, and, and then once everybody's seen it, and it's, then you're on to the next thing, and it's, it doesn't sort of last as long when you're doing things in real life and you're going to see amazing things in real life. It, I feel like it makes more of an impression on me mm. and something that I will think about for longer. Um, Kind of the same with the news I find. Like I, I went offline for like two days, very dramatic. But it was sort of people were saying, if something happens, you will know about it. You yeah. know, like nothing's yeah, yeah. that urgent no. um, in the news, but also in like your, your personal yeah. life. I think if you're just with people, you just hear about everything that's going on anyway. And you tend to then go and look up what's, what it is, you know. So you're just looking at the same thing that they've looked at that you already know about because they've just told you about it mm -hmm. um yeah so i don't know i think i haven't really sort of got sucked into it so i can't give a an opinion both ways but i've sort of held it a little bit at a distance yeah no i feel relaxed just in your presence um <laughs> <laughs> i'm like tell me more about not being on the internet um 
But Serena, you're obviously like a boss, you have a team, you not only have to be creative in your own work, but you kind of have to inspire other people to stay creative. Are there any sort of tactics or techniques or anything that you do to try and foster more creativity in the office? Um, yeah, one of the things actually, I try to, I make sure that our creative team, because obviously we have to make money with advertising, and there's always a very, it's a very gray area when we do sponsored content and things, which is becoming much more popular. And um, I make sure that my creative team is aware of the importance of having advertisers, but I make sure that they're not commercially minded enough that it kind of limits what they think that they can do. Because I, I had my creative director today, to, for example, telling me, oh, I really want to know more about the business side of things. And I said, well, that's great. I can tell you a few things. But I kind of want to keep your mind pure so that you're not always thinking in terms of how can we make the most money? Because then people automatically see through that and then don't like your content anymore. So when we do do things with brands, we make sure that they're brands our readers would like, first of all. And we create content that we probably would anyway, but the brand just may be helping us pay for it. And then we wouldn't work with, we're getting, we're lucky that we get to be pickier now also mm -hmm. as time goes on. Yeah, that speaks, I think, to so many of us. I mean, the fact that you now can sort of monetize like your everyday life, it's sort of, mm. where's the line and how commercially minded do you want to be? Like I used to work at a magazine called The Debrief, which is um, incredible magazine, I love it. But I was in the commercial team for, I think, too long <laughs> that I would see something and be like, oh, uh, British Airways would sponsor that yeah. and it was like it kind of turned into a really weird thing like I couldn't mm. see something without attaching a brand to it and like I kind of had to go and like detox from that for a bit because yeah. um, you have to stay you do have to stay creative um, so on that frame of mind um, starting with you Charlie do you mind telling everyone I'm going off piece from the questions I always do this um, can you I know you knew I would um, can you tell us uh, where you get your best ideas it's quite incriminating, I think. I don't know if I want to let that... <laughs> um, we could have a watered-down version. Okay, or okay. maybe where you got one good idea. I found, just recently, actually, having finally finished this book, um, where I got all of my confidence to actually put ideas on paper was reading aloud. Um, so I have this sort of very... I mean, I can imagine from somebody else looking through my window, it would look insane, where I pace around my sitting room uh, and read poetry aloud. And it's sort of having to say things, you know, physically having to do an action as opposed to externalise a thought like through tapping or typing, like having the confidence to say it would immediately make my brain go, oh, maybe that thought I had last week would make sense if I said it that way. Or, oh, the syllables on that were interesting. Or, and having... I don't know, I, th I think sitting down at a laptop is really constricting. Suddenly you're so aware of the weight of your hands and the fact that you're doing mm. something important and you could make a mistake. But when you're free-versing and you're, you're saying things out loud, you're not, you're not second-questioning your brain all the time. So I try and record that, sort of like free-writing but out loud, on my own, with no nobody listening. Do you voice note it? Or? Yeah. yeah. And then have to do the awful thing at the end of the day and listen back to it. Yeah. Ooh, somebody didn't have coffee until 11. <laughs> I, I heard a story once about Brené Brown. I don't know if anyone here knows who she is, but i um, big fan. But she basically had like massive word um, block. 
writer's block yeah. um, when she was writing her book and basically she just went and, and sat down with her friends and like put her dictaphone on and then she transcribed later that night the conversation she's, she just had yeah, and it was almost that. like it just coming out of her mouth but do you think pacing is a thing as well because I know a few people who they'll get an idea stand up and they'll have to pace to tell you it yeah it's like nobody's ever taken a decent business call and not pace around a room like you don't sit at a desk and take an important call you walk yeah or doodle something incriminating yeah <laughs> exactly I, th I think it's part it's like a it's a meditation it's sort of distracting you enough to feel comfortable yeah so you're not solely thinking about the purpose I need to do that more what about, about you, Lucia? Because I, I don't... You're obviously an incredible um, design mind. How do you... Uh, it's funny you say about talking out loud because I'm sort of... Uh, I bet, work better under pressure. So I'll think about something for a long time and then when the deadline is really close, then I go into overdrive. And it's usually... Talking to somebody about that is a catalyst and it, it really... It's, it's like, oh... Oh yeah, I've been thinking about that, and it, it it just formulates your ideas into something tangible. Whereas I could think about things forever and go around in circles, but actually talking about it, speaking out loud, um, it really it really sort of clears your head. Mm -hmm. Tarina, yeah, I mean, for me, it's I guess it's the same as both of you. That's never really sitting at my desk in front of a computer that I have my genius idea. It's usually when I'm in, in a different setting. So often on a plane, I think. I don't know why, but... No Wi-Fi as well. Yeah, Maybe. no Wi-Fi. No, yeah, I can't just check Instagram. Um, so you kind of go into a meditative state and you're reading things and you feel you absorb everything a lot more. So I find on a plane or often when I'm traveling, just having a diff different perspective on things, suddenly it just makes me think, oh, I shouldn't do something in the magazine like this. Or, um, yeah, definitely just getting out. Yeah, <laughs> changing office. your environment up. I used to, um, you know when you would go into work every day and you have your same commute, but then you get really addicted to that commute and you're like, can I do it in less time? This is my way of doing it. That's where I stop on the train platform and it's like really repetitive. Um, I used to go in that way, don't want to shake it up too much, but on the way home, I would go a different route, like totally different route, and I would come up with really good ideas. And I think it's something like that tricks your brain. It's very strange. But because we're all here together and... Everyone's so nice and having Prosecco. I, I, I wanted to open it up a bit kind of earlier and, and if you guys have any questions, can you please ask them because um, it's about you as well. Obviously, you will have to be happy to be recorded and go out on the podcast, but does anyone have any questions? If not, I have some more. Oh, yes, we have one there. Hi, guys. So, um, question for each of you. What was your eureka moment where you knew this is exactly what I want to do for the foreseeable future? That's such a good question. I think for me, and this is quite a crude answer, but I also feel like it's important to talk about it. I knew that it was for me when I knew I could make money doing it as well, because I find a lot of self-help kind of creative books um, were really, they really annoyed me because they would be like, quit your job, follow, follow your dreams, do what you love. And um, I feel very privileged, but like we need to pay our, our rent, we need to live. And I found that actually knowing that I could make a living out of being creative. All I ever wanted to do was just being able to pay my bills and be creative. That was like my goal and that still is my goal. So I think um, I, I would have to like bring the money thing up kind of straight away because that made me think I could do it. And it's an exciting time when you, when you feel like you can be paid to do what you love, but you need to be paid. Completely agree. 
Completely, completely agree. I mean, everyone will... Well, I, I think it's more common to hear that, oh, it was when I realised that I loved what I did and it was so sweet and romantic and I don't think it, it ever really is that moment. It's having done years and years of hard graft and realising that you're still on an intern salary and then something clicking in your brain going, oh, this is a career now or, oh, I can see like a future within this, um, which is almost hysterical that I'm saying that when I stopped doing that and became a poet. <laughs> um, but that, that moment of feeling confidence within myself that my creative worth was something tangible. So it wasn't just an idea or it wasn't something sweet to tell my friends that I did or it wasn't a diary entry, but it was something that could possibly make change or make people think differently about things. Um, which is something I've always been really conscious of wanting to do and in other realms haven't really had the power. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, the reclamation of like self-power and self-confidence was like the, why would I want to do anything else? And it's really good that you feel that confidence because I feel, you, you, I still feel there's a taboo about like, oh, the creative friend, or like, oh, she's in the creative industry, she's doing all this stuff. But like, if you think of everyone in the world, like everyone loves music, everyone spends money at the cinema, everyone loves culture and going out, and, and people who spend all their time working really hard, maybe in an office that's not creative, what do they do on the weekends? They're creative. And so it's like, it's okay that you want to earn money from that as well. It's a big industry. For, oh, for me, um, I realized that what I wanted to do could be a business. Was, um, I was living in Paris and was trying to navigate the city and trying to go to cool restaurants and things. And the guides online were just sending me to the Eiffel Tower and to Michelin star restaurants. So <laughs> I wasn't having the best experience. And so I started writing my own guides to different cities and sending them to my friends just for fun. Like, I didn't think about it as a career at all. And then um, when my friends started using them and saying that they were great, then I started thinking, oh, maybe this is cool. Maybe I should start a blog. Um, but then one day, one of my friends sent it, my own guide back to me. I was like, I have the best guide ever. Like, you're going to love it. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> it's mine. Um, and then I thought, actually, there's a huge, there's obviously, I didn't know how big the market was, but I thought there's obviously a market for this. And then I did some research, and then I decided that I should go for it. I think doing the research is quite important because you might have a eureka moment. But then you realise it's actually someone else has had that already and <laughs> sadly the product exists. That's just reminded me as well to make sure that you tell people when you like their stuff. Yeah. Because actually you having that compliment did actually have an impact on you. And I Definitely. think we read and consume things so much and think we like it but we don't tell the person. That's really good. I think the... It's quite shallow really, but when I first got sent on a research trip um, to go and look at culture and shopping I couldn't believe I was being paid to go and do this and um, and I was with other people on the team and we all wanted to keep going until we couldn't walk anymore around I can't remember what city it was and we were all talking about um, the project we were working on and we were all like-minded and we were all bouncing ideas off each other and I just kept thinking, I'm getting paid for this. I'm getting paid for this. And it just, it was, it, it just felt like I had really got somewhere with what I decided to do. Mm. Yeah. Do you still feel like that sometimes? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we've got time for another question. Yay, loads. Um, <coughs> should we go here? Yeah. Hiya. Um, so given that we've been talking about kind of the struggles of 
women in the workplace and in particular in creative industries, what advice would you give to maybe a younger um, girl or a young woman who wants to go into these industries and who is hearing about all these problems? Because, I mean, I'm 19, so haven't entered that world yet, but it's particularly sort of anxiety producing to think that I might want to do something and yet there's going to be all these issues that I have to somehow navigate. Mm. That's such a good question. I mean, I don't think any industry is perfect. No job is perfect. So I think you'll have different issues for each career that you might want to pursue, but everyone still has a career of some kind and I don't think that should stop you. I think also, you say you're 19 now, by the time that you do start working, I don't know when that, that will be, there'll be a lot of women who already will have fought very hard so that you have a much easier time by the time you get there. So who knows, you could also, it would be easier for you to argue for equal pay or for whatever you think you might want or you might, any problems that you run into, you would have had people that fought for you beforehand. So you're very lucky. <laughs> I feel like we are in, we're in something at the moment and it's hard to kind of know what it is. I think in a few years we're going to look back at this exact moment and think something did shift. I mean, I got a newsletter this morning and it was like basically talking about two very large companies. They had exposed their own gender pay gap because they didn't want someone else to expose it first. So they were like, hey, guys, we've done all the numbers. Yeah, it's really bad. There's like a 25% gap, but like we put our hands up. And it's almost like because there's such a pressure now, I find, with all of the kind of hashtag campaigns that are more than just a hashtag, at the moment exposing the truth I feel like there's such a pressure on and it feels like a turning point but I don't know if people have said that for years they're like it's definitely a turning point now but um, I, I feel really positive and I feel like you will only be surrounded by people that are going to help you and I don't want to be complacent and optimistic but I also do feel quite positive right now yeah I think the the best thing that you could possibly do is just to turn up and I think maybe even like revel in that there have been plenty of times particularly when I was your age which wasn't that long ago so that's pointlessly patronising and yeah I was so very often the only woman in the room uh, and was often referred to as the young girl in the room which really is so irksome (laughs) But, um, but I got such a great sense of like euphoria and excitement from that, knowing that, yeah, sure, it's, it's frustrating that there aren't more of me sat here, but it's quite nice that I'm still sat here, and that's because I put myself here. You know, I really pushed to be in that room, and my ideas are as good as anybody else's, and the only way that that's going to come across is if I'm also sat shouting them across the table mm-hmm. and not being at home worried that, ah, oh, but I'll be the only girl. Do it. It's, it's really liberating, and yeah. I mean, hopefully... In, you know, it would be great to say six months, but maybe in the next six years, that won't be the standard. Yeah, and pushing back on that traditional idea of what power is. Yeah. Like, I don't think a man in a suit is powerful anymore as it used to be. And I think embrace your own strengths and what makes you feel powerful. You don't need to turn up and be a cardboard cutout of what you think power is. Like, you can be powerful in different ways. I hope that that is, you know, it's not just like the boardroom stock image. Um, in the pink jacket, go Hello. for it. Um, so as soon as we've got an, kind of an ex-stylist and a designer on the panel, my question is around fashion. Um, so I'm in my early 20s on a graduate scheme in kind of the corporate kind of world. And today I had a mini presentation 
and also needed my picture taken for something very random. And instead of worrying about what I was going to present, I thought this morning, oh my God, what am I going to wear? So obviously I put on the bright pink blazer that is screaming at everyone in this room because I thought I want to be bold and colourful and not be boring. And that is something that I find really conflicting um, as I kind of become maybe more mature and go into my mid-twenties that I, f I find that quite stressful. But I want to know your advice on, you know, do you have a motto or some advice in general on that um, and what your thoughts are? Um, do you mean about how you present yourself visually? Yeah, I think I'm very conscious around... Um, how I appear. I think for women in business, it's very hard. Do you wear how short should or long should your dress be? How you know? Lots of people in the office commented on the fact that I was wearing a very bright colour this morning. But why is that a thing? Um, you know, men I think find it a lot easier to dress for work. Put on a blue suit and a white shirt, and you saw it in an offy trot. Whereas for women. It's just a minefield. I think you have to ultimately feel comfortable. The more comfortable you feel, the more powerful you can be. Um, so I think sometimes trying to second guess what you should be wearing um, means that you end up in something that you don't feel comfortable in. So I think you've got to feel good yourself. Never mind what other people in the meeting are going to be wearing. If they're all going to be in suits, you don't have to wear a suit. You wear something that you feel good in. I think that's really key, because when you feel good, then you forget about what you're wearing and you concentrate on what you're trying to say. Yeah, I, I struggle with this a little bit just because, and there's so many amazing websites out there now, like Man Repeller and the like, where it's like, you know, you're intelligent, you know, your fashion doesn't negate like what's going up on up here. Like you can wear whatever you want and you're still gonna know your stuff. But I've de definitely kind of toned down what I'm wearing when I've gone to like big tech conferences because I'm like on a panel and I'm like, oh, I better blend in. Yeah, and I found that actually I go the other way now. I kind of, I get annoyed that I, that even was a, um, a thought that I had. So I just kind of go in. And I also think that there's a way that you can use it to your advantage, which is people always remember you. Like they're going to remember the pink, you know, wear what you want and also like peacock a bit. That's, that's my advice. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think definitely being comfortable is key. I mean, when I first started Suitcase, I thought that in order to go to meetings, I needed to wear heels all the time. But obviously, what I didn't realize is that I couldn't walk properly. So obviously, I looked really <laughs> stupid. And I didn't look powerful. So now, and I don't find them comfortable. So I don't wear heels as much. I wear what I, I like. I don't know what kind of dress code you have. Maybe you can't wear bright colors and crazy things. But I'm sure there's something that you can do within that. And there's also a lot of shops offer free styling services. So if you want to really find out what suits you, you could just go into somewhere like I'm sure Jigsaw has something like that or Bluebird. Um, and just try on different things and see what makes you feel really good, what colors suit you. Um, and that's really useful. And then you can create a uniform out of that. Is there anything that you wear when you are kind of performing, when you're performing your poems? Like, do you, is there something that you wear that makes you feel good? Do you know what? The first couple of times I did it, I thought, and as a staple for years, like every meeting I went to, every job interview, I'd always wear the same black Chelsea boots because they made me a little bit taller and that, that felt good. Um, and just recently, I realised I could never stand properly. I was always actually really anxious that maybe if I took one like step too far, I'd fall over. And that the whole sort of 
thing was totally pointless. So, no, it's dressing for how you feel comfortable on the day. I mean, my, I had an old boss who used to laugh and say, has anyone noticed that we meet five different Charlies a week? Like, she never, like, one minute she's like, college Charlie, next day she's art director Charlie. Like, who is she going to be on Wednesday? It's like, genuinely, whatever I think will make me feel good about myself on the day. There's no point fighting it, trying to stick with a style or something that you think is accepted. It, it doesn't make you feel good. And ultimately, in those situations, it's your voice that's supposed to be important. No one's really thinking about your pink blazer. They're thinking about the ideas that you're bringing forward. So if the pink blazer makes the ideas good, fantastic. If it doesn't, then don't worry about it. Yeah. I love that, that you're different. Because when I... You know when people kind of plan their outfits the night before and lay it out... I used to think that's such a good idea, but I don't know until the morning like what I am going to be that well, day. What am I going to be tomorrow? I don't know. Yeah. I can't, I can't pre-iron that. My husband would agree with that when he sees five different outfits on the bed. Yeah. Why didn't you decide what to wear last night? We're going to be late. And I'm like, I just didn't know what I was going to feel like yeah. today. Yeah. Um, in the early days of all of your careers, this is for all of you, um, the creative industries that you're all in uh, very competitive and um, what and also something Emma mentioned maybe when you say to someone I'm going to be a broadcaster or I'm going to be a poet um, people might go yeah that's nice <laughs> what kept you going in the early days when um, sometimes you felt like you were just plugging away and plugging away and just literally chipping away at something what was it that really pushed you on revenge no <laughs> damn it that was my answer um it's such a gut feeling and you know we're all so aware that anything like any career that you want to pursue creatively is risky and it's not going to be easy and i think if you've already made a half decision to do it that's you know that's going to push you further enough and you do rely on that resource like that early spark of this is what I want to do and this is where I'm going I mean I feel totally underqualified to answer this question because I feel I'm very much still working that out uh, but reminding yourself of why it's so important to you you know it's it's not a tangible or a physical thing it's not something that anyone else can say to you it's not a piece of advice it's that feeling of I still want to be here I see I think it's for me I, I haven't made a strategy of this is what I want to do in 10 years time or whatever I've just gone by my instinct of what I felt good doing and always wanted to feel fulfilled with what I was doing and a lot of the time you don't feel you're being successful so you keep trying and you keep trying and then when you are successful sometimes you you feel really good and you just keep going after that yeah. so it's sort of a constant thing really I think it's it's more difficult to say I'm you know, to formulate what you're going to be doing in the future. Yeah. You just have to go on. Each little what, win. Each little win, win yeah. really boosts you and it makes you want to carry on. Yeah. Mm. I guess for me it's slightly different because it's more of a business. So I just became, not obsessed, but I guess just really wanted to solve this problem about travel magazines. And so every day I'd wake up being like, okay, I need to create the magazine that I want to read and that my friends will want to read. And that kept me going, even though I knew it was hard. And the first magazine I produced obviously did not look like <laughs> I wanted it to look. But then you eventually, you do get there. Yeah. So you just have to work really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the same for me, because I find that I would still be doing this if I didn't 
if it wasn't my job, I think. I genuinely think that. I think I still would have made a podcast even if I had like a full-time job doing something really random. I feel like I've always... I started my blog in like 2009 and I just... I, I was like, I just want to. Like it wasn't even... A th I didn't even know you could earn money from it or anything. None of the boom of like, you know, the, the digital world really hadn't kicked off and I just... And I feel like you can sort of, um, you can experiment more on the side and then you can kind of see what's working and what's not. And I think that's what's really exciting as well. Um, no one will stop you. And if it does kick off, then you can make a decision if you want to do it full time. Yeah. But I've got to say that what keeps me creative is actually doing really boring things as well. Like you can't be creative all the time and do amazing things all the time. It's like there are boring days and there are days of like admin and there's jobs that you don't want to do and there's jobs that you do for the money and there's like I just think without those boring moments I wouldn't be really excited about the creative moments and so I, and I don't think people talk about it so just like throw that out there definitely <laughs> um have we have we got time for more or okay um yeah back there hi um I think most of us working women in here would love to know how do you switch off and do you switch off is the question. <laughs> Charlie, you want to, want to kick us off with that? Uh, yeah, it's a solid question. Um, no, I'd, I, quite honestly, I think it would be nice for me to tell you, yes, there's three very simple ways I like to de-stress. Um, no, I think it, it is my life currently, and it's all-consuming. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. I think poetry for me was always the way that I de-stressed, and it was the way that I wrapped up a day, and I would lie in bed and write that, and then everything sort of felt final and done, and I could sleep on it. Um, it just so happens that I still do that and that's also part of my, my working life, which is very lucky. Um, but in the same sense of you know, doing research or reading or listening to things that could inspire me the next day, I have a very blurred line with what is working time and what is me enjoying myself because the world that I'm in and what I'm working on at the moment is, is past me is that. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing to be consumed as long as it's not really affecting you mentally. Mm. I I feel really strongly against the word workaholic. I, I I find that I don't like to use that. I don't like to call other people that. I don't like to call myself that because I think it's a really negative word. And I think that to to someone else you could look like a workaholic, but actually you're just really on a roll. And actually during that time of your life, you need to be doing it hitting it hard like I don't have kids I you know like there's loads of things that mean actually I should really go for it full pelt pedal to the floor right now I also know when to spot warning sign for like burnout and things like that I know myself well enough to be like oh you are heading over that cliff mm -hmm. rein it in so I think for me it's it's I think it's such a personal thing isn't it which is why it's such a good question because I don't think I switch off very much but I feel like right now I can handle it um but I also spend a lot of money on, um, uh, what, what's it called? Um, aromatherapy associates? Bath oils? Frankincense oil. Oh yeah. my God, frankincense It knocks you oil. out. Yeah, it's really good. I do switch off frankincense oil. <laughs> it's so good. On your temples, in the bath, on your pillow. It's really good. Welcome. I've got kids, so I switch off with my kids and probably do something more difficult with them because it's 
if you've got kids, you know it can be really all-encompassing. Um, and it's, it actually makes you feel when you get back to work, you sort of, oh, you know, <laughs> you can relax a little bit. Um, so it's, it's, it's not necessarily switching off and doing nothing. It's just doing something different and something you feel also very passionately about. Um, is a, a great way of, of sort of balancing your life. Mm -hmm. I think well, having a creative career, you, as you said, you can't ever completely switch off from it, but I think there are definitely times when you should leave the office, and I make sure that I take care of myself a lot more now than when I first started my business. Like when I first started, it was like all-consuming, and it was also cool to be in the office like till 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., and then get up at 6. It was this macho culture that people are starting to see through now, and it's okay to sleep. So I just make sure <laughs> I sleep enough. Um, I do I exercise twice a week. Like it might not seem like a lot, but it makes me feel really good. Um, I do things like read books, which is, it seems like such a treat now to be able to do that and um, see my friends. Just, I think it's important to just do different things than, I guess, you probably don't just read and write poetry all day. Like you get out no. there and do things. Otherwise, you won't be inspired or feel fresh. And I think it's an important example also to set for my team that I'm not just constantly absorbed with work because if I'm in the office all the time, they're going to be stressed out and they're going to feel like they have to do the same thing. Um, so I make sure I try and set a good example of being really productive when I'm in the office, fine, I, it's not going to kill them if I send them an email on the weekend and say I can do a bit of work if I need to. Um, but it's about getting out there, doing different things and um, just relaxing a bit. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for being so honest and for sharing you know what you know with us and um thank you all so much for coming um tonight in the store because you're vips um 20 off in in jigsaw tonight if you're interested in having a browse which i don't think they do very often at all so thank you very very much for that um on their website they are championing young creative women at the moment and there's some really amazing people on there if you want to check the blog this podcast will be going up tomorrow if you want to relive the night um and yeah just thank you so much for coming along and being a part of it and just um sharing experiences having conversations that's what it's about really and thank you to my amazing panelists you're all amazing thank you thank you thank you Thank you.